This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Scott Leonard grew up in a small town called Fruitland, Idaho. He served a mission in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and soon after finishing there, began attending Ricks College, where he met Leslie Brumhall from Snowflake, Arizona, and they were married in 1998 in the Mesa, Arizona Temple. Scott has a bachelor's degree from Boise State University and a master's degree from Utah State. After graduating, he became a seminary teacher, and he is nearing 20 years in that role. The most important part of his life is his relationship with his Heavenly Father, wife, and children. He noted that he loves adventures, going places he's never been, and trying new things and meeting new people. He also loves performing in musical theater. And fun fact, Scott and I were actually in a musical together last year, so I have it on good authority that he can sing and dance simultaneously. It's also been brought to my attention that I keep forgetting to introduce myself, so... I'm Tara McCausland. <laughs> Glad you can join me today on this podcast. Now for my conversation with Scott Leonard. Welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really been looking forward to our interview, so I appreciate your time. Uh, I understand that you grew up in a little town in Idaho, and you were born into the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and you described your involvement to me earlier um, as being more on a social level rather than being really converted to the church. So tell me about that and when you felt a shift happen in your testimony and conversion. There's probably probably three significant experiences in my pre-mission and life before I went on my mission that probably started to shift that conversion. Um, One is, again, I grew up in Idaho and and typically we, we do think of a lot of members of the church in Idaho and there are in the eastern part of Idaho but I was over in uh, over in the Boise area in a small town called Fruitland, Idaho, and most of the kids I associated with went to school with were not members of the church. And uh, so I think one of the things that started to shift me from being just I'm a member of the church because my family is to I kind of believe in this stuff is when I started to have to stand up for what I believed in. Um, you know, I was. Uh, in high school, I was offered. I mean, they didn't. We didn't really have much, many drugs back then, but definitely alcohol and and uh, cigarettes. I was offered quite a bit, and you know, I turned those down. And and I think it was, that was one of the moments where I started to think about really what I believed and why do I believe this and why am I why am I turning this down? Why don't I just jump in with my friends? And so that was probably one of those moments. Uh, another one is. One day as a senior in high school, I was sitting in seminary, um, and I, I can pretty honestly say that I was I was pretty self-absorbed in high school. Um, Most of us are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it's funny. I, I tell I tell my seminary kids this, too, and they always laugh, and they're like, I'm, and, I, and I say, you're not going to believe this, but I was like kind of part of the cool kids in high school, and they, <laughs> they never believed that. But anyway, I was pretty self-absorbed. And uh, much of my thoughts and actions went towards myself in high school. And in my senior year, I was sitting in seminary, was not paying attention. That's a whole other side story that if you'd have told me I was going to be a seminary teacher, I, it, I would have laughed in your face. But 
I was sitting in seminary not paying attention and uh, and I was even not even facing the teacher. I remember I was sitting with my back against the wall looking out the window and uh, all of a sudden, like like just as you know people say I heard a voice and I, voice feeling whatever it was, but it was clear and and the impression was, now Scott, you realize that you will exist forever, that you will never not exist and and that I don't know why, but that made my little teenage brain wake up a little bit and to realize that it wasn't just about this life that there's more after this that I need to be ready for things you know all those feelings started to come and so that was another moment I think where I started to kind of think through things more than just kind of walk through life like Mm -hmm. we do sometimes and then the other thing is just honestly just repentance I mean I you know I think everybody has moments where they sin and where they do things they get off the path and and I think those times where I went through the repentance process for for big and little things um it that started to change me as as i think it would anybody who goes through the atonement process they start to realize that it's the real deal that it's not just something we learn about and read about and watch movies about that the atonement really does change you so yeah i would point to those three things as changing experiences and of course when i'm when i went on my mission that was huge and that that just took everything deeper. And Any other doctrines or experiences that you'd like to share that anchor you in the church? Definitely the, the doctrine of the family anchors me because the church is really clear about how the, the family, the way God has designed it, is central um, to his plan and central to our happiness. And that's something that I've I've seen over and over and over and over and over. And so and i just i just haven't really found many people that if any that have found true happiness outside of family commitments and uh, family love and and things like that so that that doctrine alone i think has really anchored me to because i you know there's lots of churches that talk about family out there but i don't really know of one that teaches about the ordinances the ceilings i mean all those things connected to family that uh, takes the family beyond the veil. Yeah, that and also just prophets, apostles, organization of the church, same as in the Bible. I love it when the Bible supports this church because many people think it doesn't, that the Bible teaches against us. But actually, you, if, you, if you honestly read the Bible, um, you're going to see the same organization, the same doctrines. I mean, it's, it's all there. I, I love the Bible. Because we're not as familiar with the Bible as people in times past were, mm-hmm. uh, we we don't understand that what we find both in the Old and New Testament is is a reflection of of the restored church. Mm-hmm. You know, we we see the 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 temple and the ordinances more so in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, and we see when Christ restored His church on the earth. The twelve apostles and the seventies and the just the way that he organized it, mm-hmm. it is what we see in the restored church today. But because, as I said, we're not as familiar with uh, biblical teachings and um, just not in it 
like people, you know, in Joseph Smith's day and prior work, mm-hmm. we we don't make those connections. And so it is really important for us to be familiar with the Bible so that it can strengthen our testimony of the restored church of Jesus Christ. So I yeah. 100% agree with you there. I went on, I went on my mission to the South in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, and, and those people know and love their Bibles down there. And I went on my mission not totally unprepared with my Bible knowledge and then got down to the South and realized I needed to know my Bible. So I dove in and I just grew to love, love the Bible. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful record. And so, yeah, it was, in fact, one really quick experience. We were talking to a minister, you know, on my mission. I was fairly new and and he mentioned some uh, a, a scripture or a story from the Bible that and he and he looked at my companion he could tell that we had no idea what he was talking about and and he he stopped and he goes yeah yeah just like you mormons you don't even care about the bible and you know initially i was like what but i thought you know he was right at that at that moment i didn't care enough about the bible and love the book of mormon and things like that but anyway i i'm with you there on our need to get to know that book so you've been teaching seminary for 19 years, which is a mm-hmm. decent chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, what inspired you to choose seminary teaching as your career? It's kind of a tough career path. Yeah, yeah. And like, and like I said, I, that was not my career path. That was not what I was headed for. I uh, went on a mission, came back to Rick's College at the time, and I was headed into probably marriage and family therapy. And so that was seminary teaching wasn't even on my mind and um so i went went from rick's college to boise state well rick's college got married let's let's mention that very important detail and got married and then went to boise state and was con- continuing to pursue uh, marriage and family therapy and was home visiting my my parents in my home ward and they and the bishop just meant, mentioned that my old seminary teacher might need somebody to substitute to help out um, I, but I couldn't do that because I was going to school. I was too busy. But when he mentioned that, um, this, you know, the spirit of the Lord just said, you need to look into this. He didn't say you're going to be a seminary teacher someday. He said, you need to look into this. But I didn't want to. You know, I remember letting that feeling kind of ruminate for several days and not wanting to mention it to my wife. And and uh, anyway, I remember one night just laying down in bed and we were just visiting and and I, and I just I just started to cry. And she's like, what's wrong? And I said, I think I need to look into seminary teaching. And she's like, why is that such a big deal? And I said, because they don't make any money. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I I really had a I did not want to be a seminary teacher, but I felt like I should look into it. And so um, the very next day on that Monday, uh, I went to the institute there across from Boise State. And walked into the front office, and um, I said, "Hey, um, who do I talk to about maybe looking at becoming a seminary teacher?" And right at that moment, the guy who was in charge of hiring seminary teachers walked around the corner, and we started visiting, and and then that the rest is history. So it definitely wasn't on my radar. The Heavenly Father put it on my radar. Wow. Well, yeah. and kudos to you and your wife because you know. There, there are jokes in the church about being married to a seminary teacher, and yes. <laughs> so yes. she is a great, a great lady to support you and have faith in that. She, she is wonderful. So two decades is again a, a decent chunk of time to be in any career, and my guess is 
you've seen a lot of change in that time. The world is changing rapidly and the issues that concern teenagers today or in many cases not even on my radar when I was a youth. Mm-hmm. So that being the case, how has your teaching approach and the church educational system at large shifted to meet the unique needs of today's youth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, really good question. Um, I, I would say some things have shifted, shifted some things haven't. Um, when I was hired, the you know the goal was I was hired in 2001, and the goal was to teach the scriptures. I mean that was still the emphasis, you know. Um, how we did that has changed. Uh, when I was hired, there was definitely more emphasis put on making sure kids are like grabbing their attention, you know, by things, attention getter things, making it. I don't know if entertaining is the best word, but kind of, you know, I need as a teacher, I need to do my job to make sure these kids are are engaged, which is which is true to some degree. And that was kind of the focus then. And then so over time, the the initial emphasis of teaching the word of God has stayed the same. That's never changed. But now it's just more of get rid of the fluff, get right into the scriptures so the kids can connect with their heavenly father. Um, through his word and his teachings, through the prophets and his son, you know. Um, so I, I would say that's probably the biggest thing is to get rid of the fluff. And to, I, I know a couple of years ago, Elder Ballard spoke to the seminary teachers and he basically said, you know, gone are the times when, you know, a kid asked kind of a controversial question and we simply bore our testimony and we moved on. And he said, though, we can't do that anymore. With, with these kids that have great questions and live in a very difficult world. And so I, I would say that's that's what's changed the most. And I, and I don't think before we were ever trying to avoid those things. In that sense, I, I think that mainly just as teachers, we were we just didn't want to go there because we didn't want to shake the kids' faith, you know, mm-hmm. because those, as we've seen in these recent years, that those topics can do that, particularly when they're not looked at in the right light. And so I don't think there was really avoidance going on, more of just we're hoping that when we testify that, the, you know, the prophet Joseph Smith was a prophet or that the Book of Mormon is true. When the kid, when a student had questions about those two things, that we were just hoping that the spirit would testify to their hearts that it's true and, and everything would be OK. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely definitely changed in that sense that the the brethren are definitely asking us as teachers to to invite those questions, to pull them out of the kids and and talk about really what's going on and take the time to do that as we teach the scriptures for sure. And do you find that the youth are, are more and more uh, apt to ask those hard questions now than they were say a decade ago? Yeah, I told, yeah, I very much believe that. And I, I think for sure we see that they're, they're, they're smart. They're smart kids. Um, they, live in a world that was was not our world you know and uh, it's definitely a different world satan's much more out in the open uh, and much more bold and and at the same time much more discreet and deceptive and so but mm-hmm. yeah they're they're much more willing to say you know why did why did joseph smith do this in plural marriage and why did this happen and my friend told me this the other day is this true and yeah that didn't really happen much 10 years ago but it's definitely happening today, which I think is a great thing. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I agree. Yeah. And I, I'm curious, as one who has been, again, in church education, what your response would be to someone who feels that the church has intentionally tried to hide certain unsavory, so to speak, things from our past. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, another really, really great question. And I don't, I, I would put it this way, and I guess I should say right here that I don't officially speak for the church. <laughs> right, right. So, um, but I would say from my experience that the church really has never tried to hide things like that. If you look back in, in historical books, you know, in the church back in the 70s and 80s, a lot of these controversial topics were were written about by scholars back then. Um, it's just a lot of us members weren't looking for them back then. This is my opinion, mm-hmm. that uh, we weren't concerned with them. We weren't looking for them. They were there. Um, you know, things about, you know, Joseph Smith marrying, you know, a 14-year-old and Joseph Smith marrying um, women that were already married to other men. I mean, those have actually been around in scholarly writings and church history documents for a while. So I don't think the church as an entity was trying to hide things, but I do I do think that sometimes we as members tried to avoid them and maybe just not approach those topics because, again, we just we were uncomfortable with them. I think a lot of people didn't have answers. And so we, as, as individuals, members of the church, I think we might have tried to avoid some of these hard topics. But as the church as a whole, I don't, I don't really feel like they've ever tried to hide things. So. Well, it, it makes sense to me that we as a church have wanted to focus on the salvific or the, the saving doctrines of the gospel. Yeah. Because that's what will bring us home, not right. these peripheral issues like um, you know, polygamy or um blacks in the priesthood or you know, collab mm-hmm. with the onset of the internet, um, I think not only the church had to shift, but society as a whole had to shift how how we um, dealt with information and what was shared and what was not shared because of just the access that everyone mm-hmm. suddenly had. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that it's fair to say that it, it's not just the church that perhaps had to um, kind of rework how they were dealing with some of these things, but probably every, every other uh, major religion in the world and organization had to redefine how they were going to share important information about their organization. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I think I mentioned this to you before, but I think it's pretty arrogant of somebody to think that they have everything figured out about a certain historical thing, like plural marriage, for example. There's so much we don't know. Emma rarely talked about it. Right. And you can understand why it was probably a very difficult thing for her to talk about. Um, But she rarely talked about it. Many of the women rarely talked about it. And so for somebody to, you know, to look at the the pieces we do have about plural marriage and go, oh, I know what was going on. I just I think that's pretty that's that's pretty sketchy, in my opinion. Um, It's you know, we only have pieces of the puzzle. And to think that we have the whole puzzle when we don't, I think, is pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's interesting. The Savior, you know, Jesus Christ, when he talked about false prophets in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, his his counsel was in the last day, you know, there'll be false prophets. And by their fruits, you shall know them. And it's always interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say focus on the tree itself. 
He says, focus on the fruits that are produced by that tree. I don't know. And I've thought about that a lot and thought about, well, you know, trees can, I mean, we have some fruit trees out here that are pretty beat up because of deer will come along and chew them down and, and they don't look very nice, but they still produce great fruit. So I think that's just, just an interesting idea from the Savior himself saying, don't pay too much attention to the tree itself, but pay attention to the fruit that's produced through that tree, which when I look at the life of the prophet Joseph Smith, I mean, that's pretty plenteous fruit as far as the gospel of salvation goes. So you are a, a father of seven, and mm-hmm. um, I suspect you also feel like a father of sorts to all of your students. Yeah. If there was one thing you could instill in, in each of your children and your students to help them live faithfully in an increasingly faithless world, what would it be? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I, this is what I think, and and I'm honestly not trying to plug your your podcast here, but but honestly, I would think I would hope I could instill with them a desire to keep rowing, and I'm and I mean that honestly, and I'm again, I'm not just trying to to say good job on this podcast title here, but to, because in other words, the desire to keep going when you don't know all the answers or when maybe even you don't feel like being good or feel like going to church or whatever it might be, that you use your faith to keep rowing and to keep going. Um, it's, it's easy to be faithful when you feel like being faithful. I mean, anybody can do that, right? Anybody can go to church when they're excited to go to church. Anybody can pay their tithing when they just are super excited to pay their tithing. But it's true faith when you choose to have faith, when you don't feel like it, when, you know, maybe there's issues going on with people at church and you don't want to see them there, but but your faith tells you to keep rowing, to keep going. Um, I would honestly, if I could instill that in my kids and any any students I teach, I think that would bless their life because so often what happens is questions come up. And, and by the way, I, I completely believe that questions are good and doubts are normal. All of us have doubts and, and legitimate doubts at times, you know, and questions are good and we've got to ask questions. And But what happens sometimes is a question or a doubt comes up or a question comes up and we don't necessarily know how to deal with it and we don't know where to look for the answers. And so maybe we say a couple kind of half-hearted prayers, hoping that Heavenly Father might give us direction. Nothing happens. And we and we walk away way too soon. Um, because I have found that if we just hold on, keep rowing, whatever metaphor you want to use, that uh, eventually the answers come. Or the peace comes through the Spirit of the Lord, whatever it is that we need or that that we're searching for that so just that ability to keep moving when we don't know the answers when we can't see everything clearly um i i would hope that my kids and my students would do that there's a very good reason why faith is the first principle of the gospel isn't right. it yeah oh yeah i think that the lord knows uh who we are and what we will ultimately choose, but it's mm-hmm. it's our opportunity in this mortal life 
to prove to ourselves what we will choose. Mm-hmm. And it's it's faith that propels us forward. We we see time and time again, you know, reading in the Book of Mormon, I'm always just astounded as I'm reading in First Nephi at the <laughs> stupidity of, <laughs> of Laman and Lemuel mm-hmm. and and how it's so clear that they they have these incredible experiences mm-hmm. that have would appear to me to have given them knowledge, but what mm-hmm. they lack is faith. Mm-hmm. And the two things are enormously different. Knowledge won't change behavior, mm-hmm. but faith in things that are true, that's what motivates us to do good and to be mm-hmm. good and to follow God. Paul says that, you know, we walk by faith, not by sight alone. And and just and there's so many examples. I'll just give an example from today. I was given a temple recommend to a lady today who was going to the temple for her first time. Um, has an, and she's an, she's an older sister and just you know has been inactive for a while. And at one point in the interview, I asked her. I said, "So you, do you know do you know what that means to go to the temple and to take out your endowments? Do you know what that means?" And she's like, "I have no idea." but I know I need to be there. <laughs> and I thought that that's, that's faith. And so, I mean, which is fine. We still, you know, she still needs the knowledge and we talked about that, but that's what put her on the path of the temple. She doesn't really know what she's headed towards. You know, she knows, she knows there's some covenants coming, but all she knows is that heavenly father wants her to be in the temple. So she started acting, got her life in line and she's headed to the temple, not even sure what she's going to run into. Um, but uh, but she has a faith because she knows that's where she needs to be. The adversary is getting more and more adept at making good appear evil and vice versa. I think of that scripture in Isaiah 520. Mm-hmm. Um, what tools have helped you avoid deception in your life? Yeah, um, I, I'll just really keep it simple because this is what it's been for me. It's been um, consistent scripture study in my life. And then um, uh, the Holy Ghost and the Revelation. And just really, something really quickly about scripture study. Uh, I, I do feel, unfortunately, sometimes in the church that we we train people way too often to just get through the scriptures, to get to the end point of the scriptures. And that, that really has never blessed me a whole lot. It has at times. I know President Hinckley at one time asked us all to le- read the Book of Mormon by the end of the year. And that that did bless my life, right? Directed by a prophet. But typically, if you look in the scriptures, um, most times it, it rarely says, you know, like Lehi or Mormon or Joshua picked up the scriptures and read them to get to the end. <laughs> you know, they it usually uses the word search. It usually says they they search the scriptures. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I think as members of the church, we need to do a better job of that um, instead of just. And I think that was that's what Come Follow Me encourages. I mean, yes, there's a schedule, but I think it encourages more searching in the scriptures than just checking the box and getting finished with the scriptures. But anyway, so, yeah, I would say scripture study and revelation. Revelation, the reason why is because just because what you said, there's so much information out there. And you can, on, on pretty much any controversial topic, you can get online, you can, and not just online, you can read professional studies 
that completely contradict each other, you know? Mm. And so the only way sometimes you can know what is right in these things is through revelation. Um, obviously, if something's taught that contradicts what the scriptures teach, you know that that's not God's teachings. But there are some things that can be confusing because there are so many professionals out there that that have done their research and done studies and have found this and this. And uh, the only way you can really know is through revelation. So those two things, that's that's what's helped me stay on the path. I think so often we get a little bit frustrated if, if it's just the Sunday school answers. But the Sunday school answers of being in the Word of God and daily prayer and mm-hmm. church attendance, it's those basic things that I think, especially when we're feeling like we're walking in the darkness, that will, I think, hold us over till the light comes. Think about the, the tree of life and the iron rod. And that's taking on more and more meaning for me as I get older, mm-hmm. as I see people around me losing their faith. And I I understand that there are a number of reasons why people may lose their footing in the gospel. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to make an overgeneralization. Mm-hmm. But I have found that those who are in the scriptures and not just reading them, but as you say, studying them mm-hmm. and making them a part of them. Um, that, that they're able to, not to say that they don't have questions, not to say that they won't have challenges and mm-hmm. maybe even have a faith crisis. But I believe that as we are in in the scriptures and, and understanding how God has moved in the lives of people throughout uh, time, we can see his hand in our own life and how he's moving in the church and see the similarities. Even this week, as we've been studying Come Follow Me, I love the story about Cornelius and Peter Mm -hmm. and that revelation that Peter received so that the gospel could go to all the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Because before that time, even when Jesus was there, we know that they were only preaching to the Jews, but a policy change had to be made. Mm -hmm. And um, we see in scripture how the Lord worked through his prophet to make that change in the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cornelius, that's that's a great example of a story that if anybody in the church has questions about blacks and the priesthood and and that history, which you know there there are some legitimate questions and concerns there, but they you got to read that story right because it's pretty much the same thing. Where when the Savior was here, he restricted the gospel teachings to basically people of one family, one genealogy, and um, and you know if you could look at that and say, well, Jesus was racist. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But that's obviously that's obviously not the case, and so you got to you got to look at it with greater perspective, because you know then the policy change came, the revelation came, which Peter didn't even understand. He didn't understand the vision that he had about the things let down from heaven. Didn't understand that until he was standing in front of Cornelius, and he says, "Oh, I get it. God isn't a respecter of person." So even for the prophet of God, revelation came incrementally. And he had to act on information that he didn't completely understand at the time. Anyway, I, th- I just think that's a beautiful story of not only just revelation, but also just how, how those things happen in the church and how revelation comes and why changes are made. And, and it's okay to go, you know, culturally against something. We're, you know, we're never going to go, go doctrinally against fundamental doctrines of the gospel, but there are cultural things and policy things that 
the Lord can change them whenever he sees fit. It's his church. Well, as we are tying up, Scott, um, before I ask you the, the final question, I wondered if there was anything else, any other experiences or thoughts you had to share with our listeners? Again, doubts and questions, they happen. And sometimes we feel guilty. Sometimes if we have doubts or questions and that that's the adversary. He would, I mean, he would want us to feel guilty about that. Um, it's, it's okay to, to have those questions and concerns. Again, the challenge is always, you know, what, what we do with them. What's her name? Sherry Dew tells this great story of when she was, um, at BYU, she had, a um, she had two, two girls, two students come to her at different times, both with questions and concerns. And she said that the way they responded to them was was significant and impactful because they took two different courses. Basically, these two girls came to her with questions and doubts. And Sister Dew's question to each of them was, well, do you want to engage in the wrestle? Do you want to search and find the answer? And one girl said, yeah, I do. And so she she started meeting with her and they and she said they dealt with some pretty hard stuff in history and doctrines and things like that. But she's a faithful member of the church, say the temple recommend. Whereas the other girl, when Sherry do asked her the same question, do you want to engage in the wrestle? Um, she said, no, I don't think I do. And, you know, she's no longer active or faithful in the church. And so and it, it all it. The way we respond to those questions is, and doubts is, is probably more significant than the doubt itself. Absolutely. If we want to have a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to fight for it. That mm-hmm. it's a daily effort that we make mm-hmm. uh, to to stay converted. But in times in our life, we will have to get in the ring. And we will have to fight for it. And it may, we may get knocked down and we may get bloodied and bruised. Um, But ultimately, the Lord wants to see that we want the light. We want to be with him. Mm -hmm. And in order to rub shoulders with people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Peter and James and John. And Jesus. And Jesus (laughs) himself, who gave all for the gospel. We better be prepared to fight for our own conversion. Absolutely. You know, in the, in the book of revelations where, you know, it talks about the dragon being cast out of heaven and and it talks about the, the woman coming forth representing the church and the kingdom of God. And, and she's whisked away. And and it says that that dragon or Satan at that point, he encompassed the saints and, and made war. And I mean, it uses that word. He made war with the saints and encompassed them round about or surrounded them. So, yeah, it's Satan understands it's a war and we need to understand that as well, because if not, we're we're in trouble. We're in trouble of being led into casualness in the gospel. And I have a friend that tells me all the times that uh, um, casual people often become casualties. So my final question that I always ask, Scott, in the end. Why are you choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ, and why are you still rowing? Great question. Um, I think for me, it's uh, it's about the evidence I have received, 
that God is real and that uh, that this church is His church, and and these and, and prophets are again on the earth. Um, and you know, and so sometimes we think of faith as in just kind of a forward-looking kind of a hope. We have faith and we have hope. But Elder Bednar teaches this principle. He actually quotes Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, faith is the evidence of things, or the assurance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. And so Elder Bednar talks about how faith is both both a um, looking in the past as to what we've experienced and looking to the future as to what God can do for us. He uses the example of um, the story of Joshua leading the Israel into the land of Canaan and coming to the river of Jordan. And, you know, he says, put the ark on the priest's shoulders and have them, uh, you know, the Lord says, have them walk into the water. And once their feet are wet, then the water will stop. And, and of course, you know, that's what happens. They walk in. And so, and the priests stand there while the rest of Israel crosses on dry land. And then as they're leaving, the Lord gives instruction to pick up 12 stones out of that riverbed and to keep them forever with Israel. And they were to leave that stack of 12 stones always at the center of camp where people would see him. And why? Because that was those stones came from the river and that was evidence of God's power. And God didn't want him to forget that because that's part of our faith. And so I think for me, as I've, I've had experiences where it's, I know that, God has responded to my prayers. Like when you, when you pray for something and you take something to Heavenly Father, and you know that nobody else knows. Like I've taken things to Heavenly Father that I've never told my wife. Just you know, questions or situations or or things I'm looking for direction on. Never discussed it with my wife, anybody. Just in my prayers with my Heavenly Father. And when you do that, and then there is a response to those questions or something happens to help you with the situation. How, what, who else is helping you other than God? I, I don't. So for me, that's, that's where I'm at is I, I, I truly have had evidence that that heavenly father has, is there and real and he responds to questions and he calls prophets. And so now I think heavenly father expects me and everybody to look back and to look forward in faith, right? Through faith, we remember the evidence God has given us. And through faith, we look forward in hope. I think sometimes as members of the church, we we misunderstand that. And we think faith is moving forward blindly, just hoping for things in the future. Whereas faith also should encourage us and help us to look back and remember what God has done for us. There's a very good reason why remember is in the Book of Mormon so many yeah. times. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate your time and your testimony and the service that you're giving to all those youth as you teach seminary. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.